Nehemiah modeled persistence in the face of great opposition, which is necessary when building a better life. Do you have enough grit to get through the tough times? Three vision vandals named Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem schemed and plotted against the Jews day and night. They did everything they could to thwart Nehemiah's plans to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. As believers in Jesus Christ, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. The world, the flesh, and the devil work against us every day as we build a better life with God's help. Thus, we must put on the whole armor of God as we do His work. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. What does it take to build a better life? Find out next on this Tuesday edition of Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. Today, Ron takes us once again to the book of Nehemiah, where God tells us about the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem. But there's also a metaphorical message about shoring up the broken walls in our own spiritual lives. How do we do this? Ron offers us four practical keys today as he continues his teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Stay right here or visit somethinggoodradio.org to hear any of Ron's messages on demand on your schedule. That's our new and improved website, somethinggoodradio.org. From Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia, where he serves as lead pastor, here's Ron with part two of his Something Good Radio message, Nehemiah, Building a Better Life. I can't imagine those two people ever hanging out together, a bricklayer and a perfumer, but they did. Shalom worked on the wall with his teenage daughters, it says. As a father, I'd love to sit down with him and ask him how he made that happen. <laughs> when our kids were younger, we had difficulty saying, hey, go out and do some yard work once in a while. But he got his daughters to work with him side by side. Common people worked alongside the district rulers of Jerusalem, it says. And overall, you get the sense that the people's enthusiasm for the project was contagious. Verse 20 says that a guy named Barak, son of Zabbai, zealously repaired another section. There was so much excitement about this, so much enthusiasm about it. Uh, the phrase next to him appears repeatedly in chapter uh, three. So-and-so was next to so-and-so who was next to so-and-so, and you get this sense uh, that the entire community came together working side by side for the glory of God and for their common good. It was a fabulous project, birthed in the heart of one man who quietly surveyed the situation and then uh, brought the project to the officials and then eventually to the people and got the people involved. However, it should not surprise us that some were not willing to lift a finger. If you're there in chapter three, look at verse five, where it says the next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. <laughs> I've been around the Lord's work and sacred projects like this long enough to know there are always some people like this. Uh, takers, not givers, who see themselves as too entitled 
to join in on the project. And by the way, they're usually the ones who are the greatest critics. Have you noticed that? Those sideliners, those, I call them the takers from Tekoa. People who are going to benefit from the rebuilding of the wall, but they won't lift a finger to help make it back. But boy, they're good at criticizing. I remember a story about the famous evangelist D.L. Moody. Somebody criticized him for his evangelism methods. And he thought for a moment and he said, uh, well, I suppose the poor way I do evangelism is better than you not doing it at all. (laughs) And a leader needs to be prepared with responses like that because the critics will come and the opposition will come and you can't just let it hang there. Uh, Moody didn't and uh, Nehemiah didn't as well. Uh, The takers from Tekoa would certainly benefit from the reconstruction project, but they made no personal sacrifice of time, talent, or the money that it would take to rebuild the walls. And I have a question for you today. Are you a giver or are you a taker from Tekoa? Uh, it's, it's It's just right there in the text. Great leaders understand that it takes a wide range of people to build a better life for all and they get the right people on board and match their time and their talent to the right task. It's one for all and all for one God-glorifying outcome. And I get the sense that's kind of the spirit of Atlantic Shores Baptist Church even as we're reaching forward to what lies ahead. If you still find yourself on the sidelines, there's time to jump on board and to be a giver and not a taker. Finally, building a better life requires persistence. It requires prayer and planning. You got to get people on board. But it also requires persistence. I alluded a little bit earlier to the opposition that Nehemiah faced. Even Ezra last week, we learned that Ezra faced opposition when he brought, uh, I don't know, 48 or 49,000 exiles back and they laid the foundation for the temple. They rebuilt the temple facing opposition. And I said, that was only the beginning. God's work always faces opposition. And now, all these years later, Nehemiah has returned. And he models persistence in the face of this uh, great opposition. The first taste of opposition came to Nehemiah after he presented the letters to King Artaxerxes to the trans-Euphrates governors. Go back to chapter 2 and verse 10. It says, after all of that, When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Can you imagine? (laughs) Here's Nehemiah. I'm back to build a better life and future for my people. But there were some people who just weren't happy about that. And later, after Nehemiah inspected the walls and addressed the city officials, the Bible tells us that a third vision vandal, and that's what I call them. You got the takers from Tekoa, and these three vision vandals, Sanballat, Tobiah, and now Geshem the Arab joined with the others to form an unholy trinity that mocked Nehemiah's plans. Chapter 2 and verse 19, what is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? And they began to see doubt into the hearts of the people and... uh, Oppose them at every turn. Well, Nehemiah stood strong against the initial opposition by responding, chapter 2 and verse 20. He says, the God of heaven will give us success. 
We, his servants, will start rebuilding, but as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. I, I love how Nehemiah sort of gives a bully what he, what, he, what he needs, and that's a rhetorical punch in the mouth. You know, rhetorically, I said, right? That's words, not, <laughs> not an actual punch. But these guys are gonna dog him and the project even beyond the 52 days and uh, he gives it right back to them. Well, these vision vandals were relentless. You go from chapter two through chapter three, which is all about the people, into chapter four, the opposition returns and it grows in strength and numbers. Look at chapter four, verses seven through nine. But when Tan Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod, wow, it's growing, isn't it? When they heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were beginning to close, they were very angry. What are they angry about? But they were very angry. Verse eight, they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. I love verse nine, but we prayed to our God. <laughs> Here's another, you know, Nehemiah didn't just pray at the beginning. He prays throughout the project here. We prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet his threat. Again, Nehemiah's response was intensely spiritual, perfectly natural, thoroughly practical. He prays and then he posts the guards. If all you are is intensely spiritual and well, God will handle it, you'll pray, but you'll fail to do the practical thing and hire the security team and post the guards. But even this did not sway the enemies of God. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem continued to scheme and plot against the Jews. You read on and learn that God foiled and frustrated their plans. But in the midst of all of that, uh, Nehemiah didn't hesitate to uh, strengthen his defenses. Now I'm in chapter four, verses 16 and 17. From that day on, listen to this, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. I mean, get the picture of this. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked, but the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Nehemiah had told the people, and communication was difficult with the, the, the size of the wall around the city, but he had a trumpeter next to him. And he told the people, if you hear the sound of the trumpet, they're attacking. Drop what you're doing, grab your sword, grab your weapon, and fight. We'll return to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones in just a moment. To listen to any of Ron's messages on demand, visit somethinggoodradio.org. And while you're there, be sure to access the Something Good digital library with more than 500 hours of video and audio teaching from Dr. Ron Jones. Search the streaming library by scripture or topic to find answers to your Bible questions and grow in your Christian faith. Again, that's our Something Good digital library at somethinggoodradio.org. Something Good Radio and free resources like the Something Good Digital Library only exist through the faithful prayer and financial support of listeners like you. Today, as you give, we'll give you access to an ebook written by Dr. Ron Jones that goes along with the second road trip in his teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip 
Through the Bible, this digital resource is based on the 12 historical books of the Old Testament, Joshua through Esther. Donate online at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Or you can mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. You can also call us at 757-276-1099. Ron will join me in studio after today's message, so stay with us. But first, let's listen closely to the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, Nehemiah, Building a Better Life. And the opposition never ended. They rebuilt the wall in the face of great opposition in 52 days. What an incredible miracle of the Lord. Because at the end of the day, the people came together and said, let us rise up and build. They were so inspired by the project that Nehemiah was leading. But this unholy trinity continued to, uh, to oppose them. In chapter 6, we learn that they sent messengers to uh, persuade Nehemiah uh, just to meet with them in the plain of Ono. And Nehemiah, in effect, said, oh, oh no. <laughs> I ain't going to meet you in the plain of oh no, because I know what you're up to. Why would I leave this and go meet with you when I know that your plan is to undermine me? After four failed attempts, Sanballat sent his, his own personal aide who arrived with the same request, but with it a threatening letter that was full of false accusations. And in chapter 6 and verse 8, Nehemiah replied, Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. Another rhetorical punch in the nose. He wasn't going to take it. He wasn't going to take the spreading of lies and false accusations about them somehow uh, rising up in rebellion against the king. That wasn't their intention at all. But the enemies of Israel were spinning that yarn out there. And Nehemiah said, No. Oh no, oh no, I won't meet you in the plain of oh no, and oh no, are you gonna continue those kinds of lies about us and about me? Well, a lot more could be said about Nehemiah's leadership. This guy, man, I, I love Nehemiah. Uh, we, we could spend weeks here learning life and leadership lessons from Nehemiah. But again, you may be sitting here today and you say, Pastor, my life is in a pile of ruins and rubble. How do I build a better life for myself and my family? Well, it starts with prayer. You, you can't build a better life without God. You've tried. You've tried with your, your own best wisdom. You've put together this plan and that plan, but it hasn't been God's plan. And maybe that's why you are where you are. It's time to start with God, because everything depends on him. Nehemiah says over and over, the hand of God's favor was upon me. You, you want the favor of God, his grace upon your life? Get before him in prayer. Become Nehi, whatever your name is. And then plan. If you, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. But get God's plan. Spend enough time before him where, where he lays upon your heart that plan, those preferred pictures of tomorrow. And then understand, you can't do it alone. Look around you at the people that he's placed around you. First, that godly wisdom he's put you in proximity to. Starting with this 
this church, if you're a part of our church here. There are people here. Now, now if you're one of those persons that just kind of pop in and pop out for an hour-long service, and, and that's, that's all the deeper your involvement, uh, you, you don't have the proximity of people. That's why we always say, gather in two ways, in a worship service like this and in a life group. And life group brings the people that you need closer to you in proximity because you can't build a better life as an independent of that. So look for those people and then just understand it's gonna require persistence. For Nehemiah, it was Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, and others, this unholy trinity just dogging him day and night. That's why he remained prayerful. As New Testament believers, we understand from Ephesians chapter six, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world. Open up your eyes, child of God. The opposition, the frustration that you're facing comes from the world, the flesh, the devil. That's the unholy trinity. The world and the world system that is anti-Christ. The flesh that you can't improve on. You're a new creation in Christ. You have to learn to walk by the spirit and not by the flesh. And the devil himself who is neither omniscient, omnipresent, nor omnipotent. He doesn't know everything. He can't be in all places at all times and he's not all powerful, but he has one third of the fallen angels that he's highly organized. And one of them, or a few of them, has you and your family in the crosshairs. And the Bible reminds us that like Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, we have an adversary, the devil, who prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You have to be prayerful. Stick to your plan, your God-birthed plan. Get the right people around you who can support you. Take ownership of that uh, life that you're building for the future and be persistent, persistent in prayer, persistent in believing what God has pointed you to. That confidence to keep moving toward that picture comes from prayer, time alone with God. And when the opposition comes, you don't fold up like an accordion. You're able to look the devil in the eye or any of that opposition in your eye and rhetorically punch them in the nose and move on with the plans that God has put on your heart. That's what I learned from Nehemiah. What a fabulous Old Testament book. And historically, it brings us up to around 400 BC. We'll finish road trip number two, Lord willing, next week with the book of Esther, which we drop in historically between Zerubbabel and Ezra. There was some time between those two, about 70 or 80 years. And Esther is all about the people who remained in Babylon. Remember, not all of them came and some of what was happening to them back then. But we, these, these books bring us to the end of the Old Testament historical books and to about 400 B.C., four centuries before Messiah comes, and during that four-century time, not a single word from God. Silence. God has said all that he's going to say and do in the Old Testament. And now they wait in faith, sometimes wondering if God has forgotten them. And he hasn't. The prophecies are yes and amen. The Davidic line is preserved through which Messiah would come. 
And the Bible says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Bethlehem came after all of this. Israel has chosen people were often unfaithful, but God is faithful, isn't he? Even in the brokenness and the rubble of your life, he's faithful to say, here's a way back, here's a way up, here's how you build a better life. Prayer, planning, people, persistence, it's all right there. Modeled for us by this great man, Nehemiah. Thanks so much for joining us for today's Something Good radio message. Nehemiah, building a better life. Okay, Ron, prayer, planning, people, persistence. Those are the four key components to building a better life. For those who have noticed some broken down walls around the city of their lives that need a little repair work done, let's talk in practical terms about how they can use these four keys to get the job done. Brian, I'll say this first as a reminder. God invites us to participate in His work. He always does. For example, God parted the Red Sea, but He asked Moses to raise a staff. God killed Goliath, but He told David to sling a stone. God toppled the walls of Jericho, but He used the Israelites to march around those walls for seven days and and then blow a trumpet on the seventh day. So when it comes to rebuilding the walls of our hearts and our minds and rebuilding our lives, God will not do all the work himself. Uh, We are invited to make plans, and we should. But we're also encouraged to pray and read his word. It takes both, Brian, planning and prayer, working in tandem. If all we do is plan without seeking God's direction— Well, it will almost certainly be the wrong plan. If all we do is pray for God's intervention, but we are unwilling to plan and participate and do some good old-fashioned hard work, well, the job won't get done. So I encourage all of our listeners to make a concerted effort to employ both of these keys consistently, planning and prayer. And uh, I'll add the consistent reading of God's Word as well. Uh, This is critical to um, rebuilding our broken lives. Quickly now, not only does God work through our own willful participation to strengthen our spiritual walls, he also works through other people. Uh, We need help, Brian, not just from God, but from people. Maybe it's a counselor or a pastor or a friend. Uh, That's the way God chooses to work in the lives of his children. He he, uh, connects us with people, godly people who can help us. And finally, persistence. As I said, we have an enemy who seeks to kill and destroy every good thing God is trying to do in our lives, and sometimes he succeeds, at least in the short term. Persistence is critical, because without it, we'll stop doing the earlier things I mentioned uh, the minute things get hard. So prepare yourself. The minute you begin to do God's will seriously and actively, the enemy shows up to prevent it. That's good news, though, because it means you're doing something right. Just keep doing it persistently. And eventually, well, God will make sure the job gets done. That's Dr. Ron Jones with some encouraging thoughts about how our spiritual walls can be rebuilt or reinforced. Well, Ron, as we wrap things up, tell us what's in store for us next time as you move ahead in your current series. Yes, and thanks, Brian. Next on the ultimate road trip through the Bible is the book of Esther. One of the things I love about this book 
is that it reminds us that God doesn't always perform an obvious miracle. He is sovereign and good, and his purposes will be accomplished, but he doesn't always part the Red Sea to get it done. Even in the pages of Holy Scripture, miracles are rare by nature. But when God works providentially, when he works behind the scenes, he is no less intentional and certainly no less effective. And sometimes it takes more faith to see the providential hand of God when there's no obvious miracle involved. That's what we have in Esther's story. And that's what we almost always have in our own stories as well. I'll dive deeper into this subject next time as I continue my teaching Route 66, the ultimate road trip through the Bible. That's tomorrow in Dr. Ron Jones' message, Esther, for such a time as this. Join us then for something good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.